Well, amen. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you, and it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Pastor Charlie. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors on staff, and uh, even more blessed to have the opportunity to come and present God's Word to you this morning. I want to invite you to grab your Bible and go to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. We'll be uh, studying through verses 1 through 10. We'll get there in a moment, but uh, I don't know about y'all, but I, coming through each week, it seems like coming to time, our times of worship just are more refreshing to me every week, going through whatever is going on in our world, the things we're living through, and yet the opportunity to celebrate Jesus. And as we're singing, yet not I, but Christ in me, uh, hopefully for some of you, but my heart's just about to explode just as, as a believer just sitting there going, man, God. May, may that be, may your strength, may it be Jesus that just lights the fire within. And today as we continue studying and talking through our series and talking through our vision of being a church on mission, I pray that that is our desire that yet not us, yet not what we may do on mission, but may it be the Christ that is within us. And uh, even as you've seen the last couple weeks, or if you're new today, you saw in our video just now, there, our vision and mission statement of our church. And mission just says, this is why we do everything we do. And so I want to just point you back to the screen just for a minute, just to, to see it, to hear it, uh, of why and what we do. And that is that West Cabarrus Church exists to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. If you've been here for a few weeks, hopefully that's starting to stick in there a little bit in your brain and you're starting to go get repeat it before we even get to the end of that. But to glorify God, that's our vision. That's what everything at the end of all that we do, may it be that we glorify the Lord. Not a pastor, not a person, not even to appease a culture around us, but may it be that our ultimate purpose is to glorify God. And the why and the mission of how we do that, by making more and better disciples. This is what we are going to look at even this morning. Last week was more disciples. This week we're going to talk about better disciples. And then the goal in that is to go to the neighborhoods and to the nations. This is the destination of all of these things. And this week, in week four of this study, we're going to take a look at making better disciples. And so when we say better, by the way, going through that, that doesn't mean I'm a better follower of Jesus than you are. We're talking about maturing disciples, growing up in that, not a rank or status. But when we say better, it's just another way of saying that we're maturing and growing in Christ. And so with that, I hope by now you've found 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, if not, we also have it on the screen for you uh, to take a look at. But if you will, let's read verses 1 through 10 this morning. The Word of God says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come to this precious time of opening your word. And God, we thank you for it. We recognize, Father, even before us are truths that we alone don't have the ability to fully understand. And so, Father, I ask that you would give clear communication of your words today through my mouth, but also through the discernment of your spirit in each one of us. Oh, God. May we grow, may we understand, and may we leave this place different as we seek to live on mission for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Well, as a young child, I had a, some would call it a bad habit. I thought it was cool. But as a kid, I didn't think much about hygiene. It was just not on the radar. I was a young boy, I liked to play outside, play sports. Baths were the worst suggestion a parent could make. It was like this tedious thing to do that is like, I go to bed, sleep, dirty, who cares? Get up the next day, let's do it again. And of course, parents would, of course, be like, you're gross. You need to go, let's, let's go clean up here a little bit. And I'm like, eh, it's not on my radar. And about 12 or 13 years old, I started noticing the negative comments increased. Not sure what the people's deal was, but I guess they got to know me enough to think it's time to let him know he's really starting to stink here. And then not long after that, I had this idea that I might try to impress a girl or something. And so becoming clean took a higher priority. And this dreaded thing called maturity started to sneak into my life. And this thing of learning how to go, okay, yeah, it matters. When you're a kid, yeah, you get a pass. They just go, eh, he's young and learning. He's just a boy. And then you start going into the adolescence and manhood, and this expectation of growing up and starting to become presentable starts sneaking in. And this morning, we're going to talk about being a disciple of Christ but what it looks like to grow up a little bit in that, in maturing, or as we say, becoming better disciples. You see, being a disciple of Christ goes beyond that moment of salvation. Salvation is actually the beginning, but our text today provides some insights as to what are some habits of a maturing disciple. And I will quickly say the text before us today is absolutely loaded with truths. And we're not going to have time to dive deep into those. So 
we're going to speak to them, get to them as best we can. But let me encourage you, if you desire to study deeper, take some notes, look at scriptures and so forth. But may it just drive a hunger within you to even study deeper beyond uh, today's message. But quickly, let's take a look at the habits of a better disciple. Looking at verses 1 through 3 here, we see the first command is to put away or dispose of these desires, these specific desires. I'm just going to list them off and give you a quick definition here to kind of go with them. It says, put away malice. Malice would be described as an attitude similar, listen to this wording right here, everyone, similar to hatred. The desire to inflict pain, harm, or injury on another person. Put away deceit. means deliberate dishonesty. Speaking or acting with ulterior motives. Put away hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy means an actor at its core meaning. Someone who is acting a certain way but concealing their true motives. Put away envy. A resentful discontent. The feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. And then it says, put away slander. To speak against someone, to essentially run down or over someone verbally. Now we could take some time right here and just stop and just live on the put-aways. But when I listen, you know, I, as I read these words, these are not uncommon words, dare I say. But when we put definition and description to these, there's a conviction that falls in my heart of, good grief, would that ever be named of me in some way? And then the conviction of, man, the temptation to run to some of these. And the scripture calls out to us and says, as a disciple of Christ, put these away. These very things that even creep in when you find someone you maybe disagree with or something you don't like. And yet these are the emotions that seem to find their way to go, this is how I want to express. And the word of God tells us, put these things away. But then it says, long for. Long for the spiritual, pure milk. Long for the spiritual. The long means to, de de to develop a desire for. And it says, like a newborn baby. Meaning, it doesn't mean, hey, this is just, as I'm a child, I only want milk. But it's saying, as a newborn baby does, so throughout, may your desire for be like that of a child that is hungry. Just as a craving baby desires that milk to consistently feed it, so should the cravings of a Christian be for the word of God. This was not just for newly converted Christians. It was for those that were maturing or seeking to become better disciples. It, was, it is for those that as you grow, that the word of God isn't something that you just kind of get a little bit up, but it is something that becomes the feast. It becomes that which sustains, that which develops. Milk is this food that satisfies the hunger to the child. It sustains the life and yet has the, ele the necessary elements to mature and grow the body into maturity. It's foundational. The illustration conveys that all believers are dependent upon God for their lives. Maybe you've heard this often. And you've heard this just persistent 
preaching that says you must be in the Word. Disciples long for the Word. May I encourage you today just even to hear it with fresh ears. That it is the Word of God alone that reaches in and is that pure spiritual milk. It is pure, meaning as one commentator said, meaning it is unadulterated or uncontaminated. The Word of God, listen to this, of all the things we have to be skeptical or wonder or filter, whether it's online, books, whatever you're taking in of media, it is all good and will not produce sickness or even death, other than it is maybe death to your own self and your pride. You know, it used to be, maybe for us in our culture, germs and so forth, or sickness, was something that we saw more as an outside the United States thing. Isn't it funny how a year later, we're very sensitive to germs. We're sensitive to our surroundings. We've, we've come to the place of being curious. Hey, is this safe? Am I in a, a place? To this same level, our spirits should desire that purity which comes from the Word of God. The word desire, when you think of spiritual hunger... The desire comes from a couple of things. How do I develop a spiritual hunger? If, you, if you're a believer in Christ, yet yeah, you go, Pastor Charlie, I hear you, but studying the Word of God is, yes, all on board. But man, it's kind of frustrating. Like, I struggle to get into it. It's, I don't always understand it. It doesn't always, you know, and we're looking for the emotional response to it. So where does, how do I develop this hunger? And I would compare just very briefly two things that help develop spiritual hunger, and there's plenty of others that can go into this, but I'll, I'll give you a couple of things. Number one, energy the body uses to stay alive will develop hunger. Here's what I mean by that. Just as you burn calories just by sleeping and breathing, so existing as a believer in Christ will burn those spiritual calories that require just foundational living. Interesting in working with people over the years in pastoral ministry, one of the things that can be traced to people that are those believers that are struggling in their faith or going, I'm not just uncertain or even falling away, most often one of those symptoms can be there's an absence of the Word of God being consumed. And there's just this loneliness that gets produced, this lack of spiritual energy. And I would say it is the existence, or it, excuse me, it is the proof that spiritual life exists in consuming the Word of God. The second one is, and you may say these are the same, I, I say a little bit different here, that is exercise is happening. Here's what I mean by that. Those of you that work out, run, stay in shape, lift weights, whatever it is, you know that after a couple of those workouts, your hunger and need for intake is going up. All right, usually I'm about one run in and I feel like I've justified a run to cookout. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, all right, good, now I can go. But you need calories to help replace that energy. Here's the deal. When we're flexing spiritual muscles, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, we're loving one another, we're seeking to minister to others, we're living out in worship. When those things are happening, it is an outpouring once again of that spiritual energy. And so therefore, there must be a consuming of the Word of God. There's a, a place just up the street on 29 that is, uh, is known for something that I just have a, a 
hankering for, I'd heard for, and that's good barbecue. Specifically, uh, they, were, they are known for their, their brisket. And I had heard things about it. restaurant opened several years ago, and I had heard things about this. And, man, everybody that went to this restaurant and came out, they're like, oh, man, that place is good. you got to go try the brisket, though. And I'm like, man, I am down. Let's go. You know, and so I'm going in with this just, if you've ever, if you're a foodie, you know, you're going in with this anxious anticipation of that, that taste. And you're just like, oh, man, it, it's got a high standard to live up to. And I'll never forget going in, getting the order, sitting down, and going, all right, it's, it's sink or swim. Let's see what you got, you know. And all of a sudden, that first taste steps in, and all of a sudden, the world stops moving. And you're just, it's just this moment of pause and reflection that you're just like, could there be anything greater? That, these taste buds have not felt such celebration. And all of a sudden, the conversation dims, and there's like harp music around you. And it's just this moment of all things good that was owned up to. Everything just comes at this craving and this desire. And we see in verse 3, though, the word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Christians have tasted. Believer, if you're a believer in Christ, here's what you know. At salvation, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The freedom that comes in salvation is not something that's just procedural. No, a true transformation in Christ is something that you feel the weight drop. You know the sin has been released. You know that Christ who died on behalf of your sins, you experience that forgiveness. And it's not just something you go, well, that was nice. No, it is a transforming, moving moment. And it is something that in that this hunger is produced because we're transformed as a church body, this comes out in our worship. It should come out and explode in our worship, in our singing, in our praise, in our praying. It comes out in our desire to gather, hopefully in biblical community, that we call small groups. Where the word of God is the food for discussion and community is developed. But I would say be careful what food you consume. There is no substitute for the steady consuming of Scripture. I understand it can be hard. But may it be that we put away the sinful desires and we take hold of the Word of God. Better disciples have a habit of putting away sinful desires and replacing it with desiring the pure Word of God. I would ask you, how are you today, believer? At seeking the Word of God, at seeking to make it your substance, your nutrients, the very foundation upon which your life with Christ explodes. I pray today you're encouraged by that. And then number two, we see here in verses four through eight, the engagement of better disciples. What does it look like? How do we engage in this? Several things pop out of the scripture here in verses uh, four through eight. We see as you come to him, him being Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Christ, this living stone, the thought of a stone that is alive is foreign for us to consider. But consider the illustration that scripture puts before us. Stones were used to construct the great buildings. With this construction language in mind, scripture sets up the coming of the Savior, even in the Old Testament. Only to have him arrive in the New Testament. And to be rejected by the ones he came to save. A rejection that extended all the way to his death on the cross. And so Jesus is thus referred to as the living 
stone, the stone that has become alive because of his resurrection. The stone that was put to death, and even you could follow the symbolism to rolled in front of the tomb, was resurrected. The resurrection changed everything. Absolutely everything. The dead Jesus rose to life, thus illustrating a power that no God before or since has duplicated. Making what was cast aside now the very peace upon which God builds his kingdom. Thus the term we come to describe the cornerstone. The peace that is chosen to be the foundation. The guiding point upon which every other piece in a building is aligned with. Everything starts from that cornerstone piece. The hype, the alignment, the foundation. And yet the builders of the kingdoms of this world sought to take that stone and completely cast it to the side. And yet God said, oh, no, no, no. Not only will you not cast it to the side, I will take that very stone and I will defeat everything that you see and that you hold dearly. I will defeat all of it. And upon this stone, you will be forced to reckon. Whoa, the power of Almighty God. And for centuries since, humanity has sought in our sinful nature to run from such an alignment. Yet somehow, as the scripture will show us, it is a stone of stumbling upon which we cannot avoid. And so, we look even in verse 7, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become this cornerstone. The cornerstone. It was originally written, if you want to take note here and look it up later, originally written about in Psalm 118, verse 22, and then confirmed to be Jesus in Acts 4.11, which was Acts written by Luke, and now referenced here by Peter. Not enough time to fully unpack all of this, but let me encourage you to take a look at the parable of the tenant also in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46. And it says, we the living stones. Now, in my hand here, we've got a little cornerstone, and it's made of Legos. It's an awesome rendition, actually, this cornerstone piece. And within it, You'll find the building block, as it were, for all things. Let's see if I can do it without shattering something. All right. Survival. Wait, we got to finish it. There we go. And so within this cornerstone, you find Christ, who was that which was brought back to life. But then... What you find, though, is it says, we the living stones. You see, becoming a believer in Christ makes you a living stone. Just like the hundreds of pieces that it takes to, to put this image together here. And they're all, what's, what's fun about this, I, I encourage you to come check it out uh, later or something. My, uh, my family, my kids really reached deep here and a, a friend jumped in last minute to help this thing come together. But if you take a look at this later, what you'll find is these pieces are of different shapes, colors, lengths. This thing is as hodgepodge put together of a church-looking building as you'll find. But yet, it comes together. And as the living stones, the scripture says, one that was once dead, now made alive. You see, Jesus resurrected life. It becomes your life. 
even though living in the midst of a hostile world. You see, we're not living stones because we're living. No, we're made alive because we have the identity, Christian, as a believer in Christ. The waiting for the complete resurrection when Christ returns, coming to Christ, brings new life. And so we see this spiritual house. As scripture says, a living stone places you in a spiritual building, the scripture says. Each Christian is a stone added to the building, but done so based off the guidance and foundation of the cornerstone. And so from that, this spiritual house, as scripture calls, and just follow the illustration, is the temple of God. In the Old Testament, cornerstone was laid, and the temple of God was erected with the stones fashioned and put together. And from that, the image goes forward, even when we come to 1 Peter here. The time of Christ's death to the present, God's dwelling place was no longer in a physical temple, but it became in the hearts and in residing within the believer. Stay with me here. It's making the living stones the actual spiritual representation of Christ. Meaning this, the structure of the church is not considered the temple. It is the house of worship. The structure of the New Testament church, the structure of the temple, is made up of the body of believers. And so from that, Christians are then, we're not only called the living stones that form the structure, the spiritual structure, but then scripture goes on to call us the priesthood. This doesn't mean a physical priest as as we see played out in other religions, but meaning one that has direct access to God and is, listen very closely if you claim Christ, and is his representation on this earth. The priest would offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, that's Old Testament. Now, New Testament believers or priests offer sacrifices for us. We do this, I'm sorry, we do this on our own. And it involves our bodies, our money, and our time. Take a look at Romans 12, 1 and 2 later. Talks about making yourself that living sacrifice. And so this spiritual house, though, is made up of the many stones. And we are but one of those stones. You are but one of the stones. And let's just say for a second, this represents West Cabarrus Church. Each one of us makes up one of the stones that is a part of that. And so, you're a stone that is set in an intentional place within Christ's kingdom. The church or body of Christ functions as the living representation. Now, most of us, I say most of us, let me not assume that. It has been assumed by many that... Being a part of a local body means this, the Sunday gathering. And I would say that's certainly part of it, being present to worship and encourage each other together. But I want to argue that is simply the starting place. And that maturing disciples, better disciples, are continually seeking to be in biblical community that seek to become better at following Christ. We already get it. This culture doesn't make it easy to be a follower of Christ. Anyone agree with me there? The temptations, everything around us, there, there's, you're, it's going to be hard-pressed to find Christian perspective that's going to push you. But this is why we've designed something called small groups around here. That is that community to gain knowledge, but yet to be strengthened and growing as a disciple in community. Now, can I be real for a minute? 
there's a multitude of reasons not to jump into a small group. Like, we could sit here and each one of us could come up with a, a pretty solid list based on, I don't have time, my week is packed, man, I just need some me time. Just need to decompress. I, I need some time here. Uh, it's not fun. Uh, some of the people are kind of weird. Um, I don't know much about the Bible, and I'm not sure how to respond. Now, all those we could call valid. We, we could put some validity maybe to some of that. There's a little problem, though, as a believer, though, you're not going to find support for those in Scripture. The support is going to be that God has created godly community so that we might be engaged and press each other on in loving Christ. God has uniquely placed you as part of his spiritual body, but also in the physical body of believers. And it's so important to be involved in biblical community. And I don't mean just involved in presence, though that is the very first step. But I mean involved in discussion, life, being involved in making the mission happen. It's one thing, Christian, to say, man, I want to see my friends and neighbors come to Christ. And I'm praying God does that. It's a whole other thing when we begin to activate around that. And more so when we join to people who, with people who are praying with us, talking with us, and pursuing that same mission together. We all get it. We were made for community. We all have communities in some way, shape, or form, whether it's in our sports, our jobs, other places. But I want to just impress on you just for a moment the value of being in spiritual community where the Word of God is the topic of discussion. And the promotion point, if you will, is that we walk out going, I want to be more like Jesus. I pray today that's the desire that you have. And even thinking real quick, those, if you have been in a small group or involved in biblical community, and you've been at a low point and experienced the life-giving encouragement when that group prays over you. Parent, that you're parenting a, a rebellious child and you're going through just a season of difficulty and yet there's that community that comes around and goes, hey, I've been there, God sustained, let me walk with you through that. Or you're in a culture of work that is not friendly to believers and it is of something that's a challenge and yet there's a body that you can shoot a text out to and go, hey, pray for me today. The enemy is coming after me hard. Would you pray that I am patient? May my words be loving and kind. Oh, please hear that as living stones, we are a corporate body that comes together and present our spiritual sacrifices. But I also want to show you something else in this. And that is, an absent stone in a wall allows for things to get in, but also weakens the strength of the wall. You see, we can be the stones, but if we're not the active part, hear me here and follow the illustration, but we're weakening that which we're saying we're trying to strengthen. And can I just gently lean in right there and say, Biblical community, this passage is not just about us as personal believers, it's about the corporate body and being the living stones that are engaged for the sake of Christ. I wonder today, maybe 
we'll get to the end today. And today's just a good opportunity for you to go, you know what? Man, I've had some tough times jumping into groups or small groups, finding a fit. But you know what? I'm willing to take a little risk. I'm going to tell you how here in a minute. But then there's something else that pops up here. Is this cornerstone and a stone of stumbling is called. This cornerstone piece, pull it out. And this very stone, Scripture says, was rejected. And it disregarded by the builders and so forth. And this very stone was established as a foundational piece. But Jesus became the stone of stumbling. He became the stone of stumbling and a, a rock of offense. It was that piece that was, if you will, cast to the side. And when we look at being cast to the side, how many of you, by the way, uh, have ever had Legos in your house? Let me just, don't fall off stage. Thank you. All right. And that rock of offense that is Christ, it, here's the kind of the way I see this is, you know, the very one thing that as a dad, and I've, I've used this a couple times, forgive me, but the struggle is real, all right, is in a Lego house, and you have to go up downstairs or somewhere in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, that one thing that you thought you had tidied up and taken care of, that rock of offense, stone of stumbling, and just, dare I say, utterance of tones that you may not have known you had this is it's kind of the thought that comes to mind because it's saying Jesus is that rock of offense I kind of picture just as a little bit kind of the Lego is this to the unbeliever Jesus is dealing with Jesus and salvation and this eternal life it's that one thing that just can't be pushed aside we can come to the place of denial and say, I don't believe it exists. But it doesn't take away whether or not it has to be dealt with. For centuries, again, people have sought to remove Christ, to take him away. And yet it can be easy to look around the world, the world around you, and become distracted and defeated. But unbeliever, even here today, I encourage you, is just as that conviction when sin just is wrestling and you feels like, man, I am free of all things church, all things Jesus, and I'm on my way. Yet somehow, someway, I can't explain it, but if you've been there, you understand. There's something about conviction and guilt, and there's something about a reminder that something is just not right. And yet there is something about coming to Christ and his priceless perfection as the living stone that just sets up and goes, this is what is pure, this is what is right. There are challenges, there are, I can't justify everything I understand, I just know Jesus is sovereign and my life is called to obedience. And so Christ even steps in as that stone of stumbling upon which what was tried to be rejected is that thing that still has to be moved over. Now let me encourage you today, if you're like me, sometimes I like a good motivational speech. I just, just something to kind of charge me up a little bit. And that, as we go into what I would say point three here is this motivational section. And it, it, it just, I need motivation sometimes because the noise around can be stifling. 
It can be suffocating to be a believer in Christ sometimes if you allow your ears to listen too much to outside influence. And so look at verses 9 and 10 with me. Again, let me just read them to refresh our minds around the text. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, not enough time to just go through the depths of these words right here. But just take the phrasing, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. It's an emphasis on God's loving initiative in drawing people to himself and making available the opportunity to be part of his church. This wording and identity of being part of God's people goes all the way back to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. In Exodus 19, God is establishing the people of Israel as his own. They recently crossed the Red Sea, received water from a rock, and won a massive battle. And then in Exodus 19.6, God says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These promises for Israel were fulfilled in Jesus Christ and no longer just embraces Israel, but the church of Jesus Christ. There's something I think as American believers we need to wrestle with our minds once again. And I want to say this very humbly but a little bit directly. We don't deserve Jesus. You and I have not done anything worthy of his sacrifice and to be called his people. And that's hard because there's so much that we're performance driven. But that's just a sobering thought to rally around for a moment and to go, I yet have done nothing. My righteous deeds on their best day are nothing but filthy rags. And so when Jesus steps in and in in his word here, he says, you're a chosen race. You're not just anybody believer. You're a royal priesthood. You are the people upon which I place my identity and my emphasis and my glory to be displayed to the world around you. You are my people, a people for my own possession. The Old Testament priesthood was designed in such a way to display to the nations and communities around them the glory of God. The priesthood, even all the way in Exodus, was not set up to be this royalty. Though it was a type of royalty that was to be reverenced and listened to. But yet, its whole principle was to be the representation of God's glory. That their lives would illustrate. And so now, God's royal priesthood is made up of us, the church. Those who would claim the name of Jesus and their lives be forgiven in Him. And our design is to reveal God's glory. Let me run back to small groups for a few minutes. This is the very purpose of why we do small groups. That believers of West Cabarrus Church would come together in biblical communities on mission to display the glory of God to everyone around our homes, community, and jobs. You see, the vision is to see others becoming part of these groups and then multiplying into other small groups. It can't just be our our sweet holy huddle of community. It's got to be a multiplying factor. 
Because that's how the spiritual hunger develops. Is that we come together in community to be motivated for the biblical mission that it might infect those around us. And by it, we do what we talked about last week. Make more disciples to God's glory. You see, by becoming a better disciple, a natural outflow should be we are seeking to make more disciples. And Christian, you are established as God's holy ambassador and the revealer of his glory. I don't know about you, but this just invokes humility and a feeling of unworthiness on me. There's no way, man, that someone would look at me and go, that's what Jesus looks like. Man, I, good grief. It's so much better. But yet the Christ that lives within. What undeserved grace we have upon us, believers. What undeserved grace. And all of the above in this chosen race, royal priesthood, is done with the purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of God. The, excellent, the declaration of God's praises includes worship evangelism, becoming better disciples. This is why we need each other in accountability to be more like Christ so the culture around, the world around may see us and know the greatness of our God. You need to be engaged in a biblical community that's on a mission. We have no time to waste. We must be engaged and you are not designed to live Christian life on your own. And I just implore you, if you're not involved in a small group, can I just encourage you, Christian, today, as an active part of West Cabrera's church, that you would engage and become part of one. That it might edify the body of Christ and you might be encouraged and exhorted to grow stronger in him. In our lobbies on the way out today, you'll find... Information booklets that will tell you how to get involved in a small group, give you the list of them, and contact info so you can check those out. You'll also find them online on our church website. If you go on the church website, there's a connect tab at the top. Scroll down on that, underneath that connect tab, you'll see small groups, and that'll guide you. But the purpose of today, though, don't hear this as, the purpose of today is to build the program of small groups. No, that, the purpose is to glorify God by proclaiming who he has made us. And one of the ways we accomplish this is by gathering in biblical community. But in so doing, let's take it from the corporate back to the personal for a second. And recognize that you are a stone that was once dead and you've been made a part of a body. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A people that God calls his own. That as a Christian, when he looks down, he says, that is mine. May it be that God's glory lives on display. And so if you're listening today, you're watching, and you have not come to Jesus as your Savior, and you're listening to this and go, man, okay, awesome, great, but I'm not in Christ. That doesn't apply to me. Could I just encourage you to hear this message, though, as a testimony of all that Jesus longs to be for you. And allow the lives of believers around you, hopefully, to testify of all that Jesus is for them and what he longs to be for you. 
That may mean reaching out believers. It may mean, though, reaching out to those that are lost and going. You may not see Jesus in me often, but I pray, let me tell you about the Jesus that has changed me. And may it be an exhortation, even all the way back to the beginning, to put away and to develop a long for the word of God. May it be that we engage in becoming better disciples. And I pray that you are motivated in who you are in Christ and who we are as the body of Christ to be engaged in his mission. I want to close here just by reading uh, verse 10 to you one more time as a reminder of who you are as believers. In fact, I want to invite you just to bow your head with me for a minute as, and listen to the word of God one more time. Once you were not a people, Christian, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our God and our Father, we recognize that we are unworthy of your goodness and your grace. Father, why you would look at sinful, wretched man 